0: You're listening to The Wrap,
1: a Warren Averitt podcast for business leaders,
0: designed to help you access vital business information and trends when you need it.
1: So you can listen, learn, and then get on with your day.
0: Now let's get down to business.
1: Well, hello, everybody, and uh, welcome back to another episode of The Wrap, a Warren Averitt podcast. We're happy to have you uh, with us here for the next episode. Today, we're going to be talking to some of our financial institution experts within our firm. Talking about some of the opportunities challenges that they're seeing uh, when they talk to their clients, and so uh, we are we are happy to have um, some of our own experts um, here with us. But also with us is um, a new co-host for our podcast, Jessica Giuliano, out of our uh, Birmingham office in our staffing and recruiting division. Jessica, welcome to the Wrap, and uh, glad to have you as a co-host.
2: Absolutely, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Paul. I've been with the firm over almost 11 years now, which well, is kind of hard to believe. But uh, yeah, started in the audit, started an audit and um, decided to retire and recruit CPAs instead. <laughs> well, we're glad and to
1: have you with us today.
2: Happy, happy to be here. And we've got uh, Jeff Burleson out of our Birmingham office and we have Je- Josh Bowen from our Montgomery office here today. Welcome, gentlemen.
3: Glad to be here on the podcast and um, in the Uh, So I worked in CPA practice and then also in a a family business, but 14 years with an international accounting firm and in between kind of midway, worked in a family business. And then I've been at Warren Averick since 2010. And the whole time when I was with a public accounting firm and currently I've been in the financial services practice and uh, glad to be part of the webcast.
4: Yeah. So, uh, so I also serve in the financial services group as well. Uh, started with the firm back in 2005 straight out of Troy. Uh, my wife and I moved to Birmingham and, uh, that's where, where it all began. So, uh, I, I did go to work at a couple of other firms in the process. And back in 2017, I had the opportunity to come back to Warren Averett and move back home closer to family. And so, uh, we we jumped on that opportunity and it's been a blast ever since. So uh, here we are today.
1: Well, we are we are happy to have both of you all with us today and and look forward to this discussion. So you know let's jump right in. So. Jeff, Josh, y'all deal uh, strictly with financial institutions. So you're inside their offices and talking to them all the time. What challenges and opportunities are, com- are, are organizations in this industry uh, facing? And, and we know it's a much more regulated industry than most. And so uh, there's probably a lot of very unique challenges. Can you kind of touch on some of those and what you are seeing, Jeff?
3: Yeah, sure. Thanks, Paul. And probably one of the, the biggest um, changes in the financial institutions practice, I mean, it applies to various entities, but is um, what we call CECL, which is the current expected credit laws. Um, and it changed how um, financial institutions accounted for the allowance for loan laws, which now it's an allowance for credit loss but for public companies it was adopted um, several years or a handful of years ago Um, for calendar year companies 1231 they adopted it as of january the first 2023 and it actually changed the accounting from an incurred model to an expected model Um, and this actually occurred FASB issued this um, asu at the time based on the recession in 08 and 09 and it's generally applicable to loans and held to maturity securities Um, for instance like uh, loans held for sale um, that's not applicable to those because they're accounted for um, differently Um, so anyway for loans and held to maturity securities uh, one of the items that um, is not in the new standard is the otti or uh, other than temporary impairment um, on available for sale securities So that went away. Um, another item that went away or it's not in the current standard is, um, kind of the termination of impairment. Um, there's different ways, I mean, certain situations where that may be considered, but generally speaking, impairment is not, um, included in the current, um, standard. Um, also the intent in the standard was to not have an unallocated portion. So in the incurred model, um, you know, you have your, uh, quantitative and then your qualitative uh, amounts, but then there could also be an unallocated amount. Um, but the intent was to not have an unallocated. However, um, if you look in the OCC handbook from April 2021, it is included in there. And also currently on the call reports, there is an unallocated um, component that's included in the allowance. So um, we were at a recent conference, Josh, you want to uh, elaborate on this a little bit?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Jeff. So um seemed like every conference we went to last year, there was always discussions of M and A. It seemed to be the hot topic and it has been for a while. Um, uh, but this year we're seeing a change in what we're see what we're hearing at conferences, and it started um at the beginning of the year. So we we thought we were gonna have a pretty simplistic year. Like adopt Cecil, that's probably gonna be the m- most complex. But then we had Uh, a little bank failure and then another little bank failure. So there were some issues as it comes into, uh, this topic of liquidity. So Jeff, do you want to kind of start us off on talking a little bit about, uh, Silicon Valley bank?
3: Sure. So in March um, of this year, as many of you know that's listened to the podcast, especially um, on the financial institution side, you're pretty familiar with Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, and First Republic uh, Bank, what occurred. But basically, starting back from SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, there was a run on deposits. And there were various um, causes of this. And clearly one of the things that has been looked at since then is, okay, who's to blame for this? Well, there's plenty of blame to go around. And even if you've listened to some of the testimony with the regulators, um, the FDIC and the Federal Reserve, um, they've accepted, you know, some of the responsibility for it. But you can, you know, management was responsible for it. And it was really, you know, kind of stemmed from a mismatch on the balance sheet and you know managing that balance sheet with the change in the interest rates, and as many of you know, you know as interest rates um, increase, you know the value goes down. Um, it has an inverse relationship. So naturally, if you have available for sale securities, uh, that change is running through equity, not through the income statement. So that does affect like a large unrealized loss position, and that's what um, was recurring. When this occurred in March of um, of this year, 2023, one of the things that we did on our audits that were ongoing at the time, um, and since then, we've actually incorporated, you know, uh, different audit procedures, uh, you know, to um, put some effort towards this in the uninsured insured deposits um, and how the bank is or the financial institutions um, are um, uh, carry those. Um, Deposits.
0: Want to receive a monthly newsletter with wrap topics?
1: Then head on over to warrenabeat dot forward slash the wrap
4: and subscribe to our email list to have it delivered right to your inbox.
0: Now back to the show.
4: Yeah, so you know, watching this unfold, obviously, we started getting a slew of calls. So I feel like Jeff, we we were talking uh, multiple times a day, and we were just trying to digest all of the information uh as we were receiving it and and this actually spread to our non-banking clients too within the firm uh-huh. because obviously uh if you're holding cash in your financial institution you have a question like am I about to lose my money and so we were assisting um other CPAs and advisors throughout the firm on on as on their questions as they were receiving it from other clients uh, luckily it it was very targeted um uh, so there there's some uh obviously Differences in how those banks operated and how uh, most community financial institutions are, are operated. And so fortunately, I think what we've seen and, and it still holds true today is that uh, our financial institutions are, are sound. They're stable. Uh, we're hearing that from the top regulators down. And as we perform, uh, our procedures, whether that be on the external audit side or as we perform internal audit procedures over, um, asset liability management and interest rate risk, uh, and liquidity procedures, we're seeing, um, that, that our banks are, are definitely well positioned and, uh, and we're very thankful for that. And so, uh, a few, few things to think about though. Is obviously, as we I mentioned earlier we we saw this shift where it seems like liquidity is the number one topic and and rightly so, these were very significant failures in our banking system and and it 's been a while you know so Jeff during the downturn during the Great recession, we were used to sitting back on Friday afternoons waiting on the email from. The regulators to see all right, what banks failed, right? It was just every single Friday it seems like we were getting a listing, and it's been a while. So we've had one here, one there, and then all of a sudden we get these very large institutions, and then First Republic comes along not long after theirs after that. And so it seems like is this systemic um, throughout um, the the financial industry?
2: How do these complexities and these challenges that uh, both you and Jeff have kind of Brought to the attention of this audience, how has those impacted or will impact the overall business strategy for these institutions?
3: Okay, Jessica, I think one of the effects um, with regards to Cecil is how it was adopted and how it affects the um, the financial statements. And actually, when it was adopted, uh, the recording, the effect of it, um, whether it's a hit or a pickup. Um, to the allowance actually goes through equity. Um, and then from that point forward, it goes through the income statement. Uh, there are also, if it's a, um, pretty significant um, entry to uh, equity, the financial institution can apply a transition method um, over a three-year period. But of course, as mentioned earlier, uh, we had several financial institutions where it was no effect, so naturally they would not apply any transition method because there would be nothing to apply. With regards to um, on the liquidity crisis, how that's going to be affect um, banks is Uh, We had mentioned a conference that we were at, and the thought was, like on the CAMELS ratings, this is a uh, rating that the banks get, the main focus on a go-forward basis, or at least in the near um, term, is going to be on liquidity and management.
1: That's, in, that's interesting. Uh, Jeff, uh, Josh, I want to go back to you. You were talking also about liquidity. Uh, and I'm, and I'm assuming the banks, um, are, feel like there's a concern with liquidity. I think you've talked about it, but we're, we've been seeing a lot of activity from, from the feds with, with rates. And I, and I assume those, those kind of go together. So can you kind of unpack how that, how that changes the business strategy for banks?
4: Yeah. Thanks, Paul. So, you know, for most of our financial institution, we're seeing that they're still, Pretty strong from a liquidity standing. Uh, no major concerns there, although the regulatory, uh, concerns are heightened, right? And rightly so. And right. so, uh, we, we've seen a new, uh, financial institution letter. It's interagency that just recently came out. It's requiring some, some changes, um, to the, the contingency funding plan and so forth. Something that all financial institutions should, um, review. Uh, but because of the economic uncertainty, we've got large, um, unrealized losses that are tied to the, to the balance sheet. Um, a lot of investments that can't, you, well, you could sell them, but you probably don't want to, to lock in those losses, um, coupled with the potential. For regulators wanting more on-balance liquidity, um, it can reduce some of that future availability and current availability of liquidity that banks may be willing to put out, which could in turn reduce the amount of loans that they may be willing to to originate. And so what we are seeing is when you add that along with the potential uncertainty in the economy, we're seeing uh, financial institutions be a little bit more choosy. On uh, the loans that they're originating. And, um, and not, not all are that way. Um, but every financial institution has their own strategy when it comes to managing their assets on their balance sheet. Um, but, but we are seeing some of those pressures come out that, that business owners and consumers may start to feel. And, uh, and actually something that the Federal Reserve, I think, are relying on to some degree as they begin to spread out how, how quickly or how often they increase rates. Um, obviously, if financial institutions are not lending as much, then that that puts a, a little bit more um, pressure on the spending in the economy as well.
2: And you, I think it would be interesting to kind of take a little sidestep here, guys. We've talked about pressure. Um, staffing is a very hot topic as well. Uh, I know we've talked a lot about regulations and things, but for these institutions – what would you say is going to be uh, the biggest thing that they're going to be focusing on? Because the June job report came out and there was, it was not what we expected, but what we expected all the same time from a increased jobs, what was, what was issued. Um, What are your thoughts on the staffing climate for this industry?
4: Yeah. So, um, so we're seeing like many other things, a trickle down effect. And so as COVID hit our financial institutions uh, we started seeing a lot of the large banks the big banks start putting minimum wage minimums out there some floors that um, are pretty tough for some of our community financial institutions um, and so we're seeing more and more pressure obviously as wages continue to go up there's a requirement there and we couple that with a lot of our financial institutions are not in Birmingham or atlanta or tampa and so the 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 labor pool for those areas can be um a little bit tougher to fill certain positions and so um uh, we are seeing where financial institutions are getting more creative so uh back in the day where um you may have someone in operations whether it be in loan ops or deposit ops they may be sitting at the headquarters right in the main That's bank right. uh headquarters now some are thinking well We have a branch in Huntsville or we have a branch in this city. And so can we hire in a city that has uh, more talent in that population and let them sit there or uh, even letting them just work remotely in general?
2: That's right. And we are seeing a compromise um, that, you know, obviously COVID everyone, there's a significant portion of you know, the industries that could outside of, you know, distribution, you know, outside of those industries that just couldn't do business without their people being physically on site. We've kind of come to terms that hybrid, <laughs> hybrid <laughs> is the, the compromise. You know, we're seeing a lot of that. And as long as companies and these institutions can access and have the technology to have the talent reach the talent they'll they'll be successful but it is cooling off significantly
5: mm-hmm.
2: and we'll see i didn't know what other challenges you guys are gonna anticipate
3: hey jessica i think another thing is like looking at the talent pool and you know if you're looking at people that have made you know maybe they were retired or maybe displaced or whatever, you know, late 50s, early 60s, um, you know, great talent, but they don't want to work full time. Uh, you know, that's a great talent pool to pick from. Uh, you know, generally speaking, you know, they've had their career they're really not wanting to climb the corporate ladder. Um, so there's not that pressure, you know, or so to speak, drama, you know, Correct. internally. But that's a that's a talent pool that we're seeing that's being, uh, you know, looked at pretty significantly now.
1: Well, and I, and gentlemen, I know that there's another topic that always comes up when we talk about, you know, the challenges that is that. Uh, industries face specifically financial institutions, uh, and that's technology and that's security. And I, and I know that y'all could answer the question, but I wanted to bring in another colleague of ours, uh, Justin Headley within our risk advisory and assurance group, uh, within the firm. Justin, welcome, welcome to the podcast. We're kind of bringing you in talking about financial institutions and, uh, when you're out there talking to those 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 um institutions what are you hearing from a technology perspective what are the f- what are the examiners focusing on you know kind of what are those hot quick topics from a security perspective that people need to be focused on and and again welcome welcome to the podcast
5: Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, this is a very interesting topic for financial institutions. You know, while the FFIC has guidance and their information security handbooks on what best practices should be in place, we do see that examin- examiners, regulators, they have focus areas that they sort of key in on and have a higher focus on exams. So we also hear a lot of these things when we host our, uh, our banking and our credit union roundtables for our clients and we kind of see what they've been through and experienced. So, There's two things I want to kind of briefly mention that are sort of hot topics that we're seeing. So the first one is third-party risk management. This is not necessarily something that's new for financial institutions, but it's an area we continue to see increased scrutiny. So, and I think the reason is because We're continuing to see large scale third party data breaches almost every day. The very recent uh, move it breach that we've all been seeing and hearing and reading about has been very interesting. We've seen millions of customer records that have been exposed already and many more companies are finding out, hey, I've been impacted here. This has included a lot of banks and credit unions that they're sort of dealing with this. So Making sure that you have a well-functioning third-party risk management program that you know you're continually assessing, you're dealing with your third parties is is key. It's critical to think about that you can you can outsource that service to a third party, but that responsibility is going to rest squarely with you. If you experience a breach um, as a result of a third-party issue, your customers, your members, they're going to look at you. They're not going to look at that third party. That responsibility, unfortunately, sort of lies with you. So your internal risks are always changing so are your third party. So staying on top of that is essential. The second area I wanna cover just briefly is incident response. And this is no surprise, but for years we've seen Incident response at financial institutions be sort of a sort of an afterthought, something that sort of kind of gets baked into your disaster recovery, your business continuity plans, uh, and obviously since data breaches are so mainstream, you got to make sure you have a completely separate incident response plan that sort of goes into detail on how you're going to respond to incidents. Uh, and along those lines too, you got to make sure that you are testing that incident response plan regularly. Uh, Just how you would, you know, traditionally test your business continuity plans, uh, you know, prepare a tabletop exercise, get the leaders of the organization around a table, kind of walk that out. How would you respond to a a ransomware scenario for it, for example, and make sure you've got your ducks in a row. And, you know, recently along the lines with instant response, we've seen both the FDIC and the NCUA provide guidance and rules on how you are to notify and uh, respond to an incident. So making sure that you have a good, well-functioning incident response program is key. Uh, those are just two areas that say kind of be on the lookout for. There's always always new things. Uh, continue to educate yourself, but those are just two things that you, you need to make sure you got good controls to cover those risks. Justin, thank you
1: for, for calling in and giving us some of those insights on cybersecurity as it relates to financial institutions. We appreciate your time today. Thanks for having me, guys.
2: Thank you so much, Justin. Um, You know, we've brought several different topics. Uh, I'd be interested, Jeff, Josh, um, how should the business leaders um, in this industry respond to these various dynamics to position themselves, their organization to succeed in these various environments? What, What do they need to do for the immediate future?
3: Yeah, I think for the immediate future is probably just continued, you know, focus on credit management and liquidity management. Um, I mean, that's what they do anyway, uh, but just continued focus on that. Also, especially, Josh can elaborate on this, but with regards to, you know, liquidity management being such a big topic now, is making sure that the board or the audit committee is, you know, also knowledgeable, taking responsibility um, for that.
4: Yeah, I, I completely agree. And at the end of the day, um, we have to remind ourselves that, that financial institutions, bankers, they are managers of risk, right? This is what they do every single day when they mm, write a loan, point. uh, as they continue to expand their, their business strategies. And so, uh, you know, for most of our financial institutions, we're seeing that they, they're, they're in, in great shape. They're not like the Silicon Valley. They're not running their financial financial institutions in very high risk, um, markets and, and customer bases. And so, uh, so I think focusing on that, paying attention to concentration risk within their portfolios and, and just really keep doing what they've been doing. And many of these financial institutions have been through world war one world war two and there's, they've seen so much um and and they've thrived and 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 have continued to be resilient regardless of what the economy has thrown at them so just keep doing what you do best
1: right good good information so gentlemen uh here on the wrap we'd like to wrap it up in 60 seconds or less which josh i realize that's going to be very difficult for you but um <laughs> you know, as we as we end this as we end this discussion kind of around financial institutions and, you know, what is that one thing you want the listeners uh, to leave with, whether it's something you've already said, maybe it's maybe it's a summarization of some of the things uh, or or maybe some ideas that didn't get into the podcast. What What are those things that you want to leave our listeners with?
3: Yeah, I think from my perspective, it would be that, you know, the adoption of Cecil was not as big of a deal as everyone thought it was going to mm-hmm. be several years ago. However, as the interest rates are changing, credit risk, um, uh, you know, like in the marketplace, that's going to you know have to be focused on, probably going to see allowances, you know, increasing. Uh, and, you know, just the topic of the day, liquidity management and, you know, just really focus on that. Josh?
4: Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, for the first time in a long time, financial institutions have been under a lot of margin compression because rates have been almost zero for a long time. And now rates are higher, not as much margin compression there. Um, but at the end of the day, we have all these other ancillary issues. And so, uh, I think for, for the most part in general, uh, the financial institutions that we work with and, uh, that, that most, uh, financial institution, institutions out there are doing a, a great job. And, uh, I think now is a good time to, although we look at Silicon Valley and many of the other things going on, we say, oh, they're, they're not like us, uh, which is completely true. I think there's still time for an opportunity for, uh, financial institutions that are doing a fantastic job to maybe take a look at the smaller things because all of the smaller things add up and can make, uh, right. significant uh, impacts to the operations and so whether that be uh, just spending a little bit more time looking at your model assumptions whether that be coming through your contingency funding plan to ensure that uh, that 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 it's up to date and it's aligning with the bank's strategies uh, and really just looking at the enterprise risk management process of the bank or or financial institution in general uh, just making sure that that everything is aligning with uh, the financial institution's ultimate strategy as they look out the next year two years five years and so forth good stuff
2: well thank you uh, Josh and Jeff I feel like we have um, we probably could spin off and have five other podcasts based on the information y'all have provided today to our audience and we thank you both for time and y'all's professional insights um, your expert advice, advice on these on these matters so thank you both for being here
4: We appreciate the opportunity. Thank y'all. Thanks. Yeah.
0: And that's a wrap. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review on your streaming platform.
4: To check out more episodes,
1: subscribe to the podcast series or make a suggestion of other topics you want to hear.
0: Visit us at warrenaberit.com forward slash the wrap.